There's only one winner and no second prizes. Only one winner, no second prizes. Now, I'm not talking about Manchester United's inevitable winning of the Premiership, although the moderator and I would share that hope and prayer. I'm actually talking about the strap line for The Apprentice, that grueling competition that's been watched by millions every week, a competition that sees 15 candidates challenge for a dream prize, a six-figure salary, and a job as Sir Alan Sugar's apprentice. Here's one or two observations that some folk in the media have made about The Apprentice. I watch it for the personalities of the contestants to see how they cope in highly pressurized situations. It just makes such good viewing to watch them all fighting for survival and desperately trying to outdo each other. But the idea of being an apprentice, of serving your time, of learning from someone else, is not something that was generated by the BBC in order to boost their ratings. It's a time-honored tradition. It's part of the fabric of human history, learning from others. We know it and have experienced it, I'm sure, in our own lives. It's what goes on in our schools day after day, where someone models something, someone shows us the way, and we learn from them. The idea of learning on the job, of gaining experience and instruction by observing someone else is all too straightforward, really. We understand it. And it's something that Jesus understood. And it's something that Jesus employed from the earliest days in his public ministry. Now, the scene that, that Matthew sets for us in the passage that Christoph read at the beginning of our service it's a scene that's a very ordinary one. There's a lake. There's some fishermen. Some of them are mending their nets. Others are having another go to, to see if they can catch a few more. Along the shoreline, there are people milling around, going about their everyday lines. It is, for all intents and purposes, a day just like any other day. But for some of them, it was to become a day like no other day. Because into this routine scene steps Jesus. There's no fanfare. There's no dramatic entrance. He simply makes an invitation from the shoreline. He says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It's a bit unusual, a bit surprising, but not half as surprising as the reaction. Because Matthew tells us that once Jesus had uttered those words, that at once, immediately, in an instant, they dropped their nets and they followed him. Now, am I the only one who finds this peculiar? Clearly, I am. You see, for as long as I can remember, every time I've read that passage, 
or every time I've heard that passage read, it always left me somewhat confused, a little bit bewildered. What was it that made these men give up everything that was normal to them, everything that they had become comfortable in, everything that defined who they were, their whole identity, their whole livelihood, their whole reason for living? What was it that caused them to do that? I mean, they hadn't met Jesus before. He hadn't had an opportunity to dazzle them with his miraculous signs. He simply uttered some words. Was it something in his tone of voice? Was it something in his charismatic personality? So for years, I've struggled with that. But a few years ago, I came across something that helped me to unlock it. If you're interested in following it up afterwards, then get yourself a copy of the book Velvet Elvis. It's by a chap called Rob Bell. Or if you're more inclined to surf the web, then go to the website followtherabbi.com. Because that's where I got the help to understand this. Because what we need to do is understand the significance of the words that Jesus uses when he says, come follow me. We have to understand something about the background to the fishermen and to their educational system. Now, these fishermen were Jews. They were Orthodox Jews. They grew up in a region of Israel known as Galilee. Like their their fellow countrymen, they would have believed not only that God had spoken at a specific time in history to their ancestors, but their tradition said that Moses had received a copy of God's words, what we now have as the first five books of the Bible. They called these first five books the Torah, which means teaching or instruction, or more simply, it really translates as way. And they believed that the best way to live was by following the way. And so at around six years of age, they entered what we might describe as primary school. And this is their first level of education. They called it the Beth Sefer, the house of the book. And it lasted for about four years, until about ten years of age. What did they do in this primary school in Galilee? They memorized the first five books of the Bible. All of them. As six to ten-year-olds, they memorized them. Genesis, we probably could manage that because it's got lots of stories. Exodus, yeah, there's a story there as well. We could maybe manage that. Leviticus, Numbers? Are you kidding me? I'm not. They had to memorize the first five books. And by 10 years of age, some of them were displaying a natural ability with the Scriptures. And so they would be allowed to progress. They would face the transfer, the 11 plus, and if they got it, they got through to the next stage, to the Beth Talmud, to the house of learning. 
And there they would spend another four to five years. If they didn't get through to the Beth Talmud, if they failed the 11 plus, they didn't make the transfer, they went back to the family business. They were back to learning a trade. At the Beth Talmud, at the second level, they would add to their knowledge of the Scriptures by memorizing the rest of the Old Testament. So then, by the time they were 14 or 15, they would have all 39 books of the Old Testament memorized. It's extraordinary. But that's what they had to do. Those who failed along the way, or those who dropped out along the way, well, they'd go back, pick up the family business, just like those who hadn't made it through the first stage. Those remaining after the second stage, looking for a university or a college education, if we want to describe it in those terms, well, they would apply to a rabbi to become one of his Talmudim, one of his disciples, one of his apprentices, if you like. Now, the goal of the Talmudim, the goal of a disciple, wasn't just to know what his rabbi knew, but it was to become like the rabbi. This level is called the Beth Midrash, the house of study. And a student would present himself to the rabbi and say, Rabbi, I want to become one of your Talmudim. And the rabbi would then question them about the Torah, about the traditions, about what other rabbis had said, about the oral law, about the interpretation. And the whole aim in the rabbi's questioning was this, can this kid do what I do? Can this kid become what I am? If he didn't think that you were up for it, if he didn't think you were at the right level, that you made the grade, he'd just send you away, back to learn the family business. But if he believed that you had what it would take to become like him, do you know what the rabbi would say to you? He would say, come, follow me. Come, follow me. So let's go back to the lakeside. Back to that conversation, to that invitation that Jesus issued. Remember the fishermen? Why were they fishermen? Because they were not Talmudim. They were not disciples. They weren't following a rabbi. They hadn't made the grade. They weren't good enough. They had been rejected. They had been sent back. They didn't make the cut. And it's the not good enoughs that Jesus calls. So when he says to them, come, follow me, of course they would immediately drop their nets because they understood that Jesus was saying, you are good enough. I see in you 
the ability, the potential, the opportunity to become like me. Of course they dropped their nets. Wouldn't you? The rabbi believes in you. Believes that you can do what he does. That you can be like him. To the new elders this evening. You may be sitting there thinking, I'm not good enough. And I want to agree with you. You're not. You're not good enough. None of us are. None of us are good enough. But Jesus says, come follow me. We read through the stories of Jesus' life with his Talmudim. What we find is that the only thing that frustrates him is when his disciples lose faith in themselves. He even says to them on one occasion, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. The entire rabbinical system was based on the rabbi having faith in his disciples. For the apprentice, the TV reality show, although altogether convinced that it's true to real life, but there you go, you have to make application, just like with a rabbi to become a Talmudin. And in the apprentice, you have to go through a series of tests to prove your worth, just like the Talmudin and the rabbi. And the would-be apprentices, well, they take a huge gamble, unsure of the outcome, just like the Talmudin with the rabbi. But wait a minute. The rabbi we call Jesus invited these men to be his Talmudin, to be his disciples, to be his apprentices. They didn't apply. He said, come. A couple of weeks ago, I had a real privilege of coming to an evening here in your church with the rest of the commission to meet with the new elders. Can I, can I let you into a secret? I didn't want to be here. I, I seldom want to be at presbytery functions. Do you know why? Because they're normally really boring. They're normally stuffy and formal and as far from being spiritual as you can imagine. I parked my car up the road and I had the greatest difficulty getting into the church, I have to say. Being a new kid on the block, I didn't know how to do it. And at one point I thought, actually, maybe that's a sign. <laughs> maybe, maybe if I can't get into the building, that's God saying, it's okay, son, away home and put your feet up and watch the football instead. But, but then uh, my conscience got the better of me and I rang the clerk of Presbytery on my mobile and he said, oh, I'll come and meet you in the street. Oh, okay. So we came in, and I was prepared for this boring, stuffy meeting. It wasn't boring, and it wasn't stuffy. Do you know why? Because for an hour and ten minutes, 16 of us in a room upstairs shared our faith stories. It was marvelous. 16 guys who would all put their hands up, I hope, and say, we're not good enough. 
spoke about Jesus, had issued his invitation to us, and had said, come, follow me. We didn't apply. Jesus invited. And you know, you don't have to apply to be part of Jesus' church. He invites you. He says, come, come follow me. This rabbi that we call Jesus instructed these men. They weren't tested. He said, come, follow me. That's all they had to do. That's all you guys have to do. Just follow him. As he leads, you follow. As they follow, you follow. It really is as simple as that. And this rabbi that we call Jesus, well, he invested in these men. There was no gamble. There's no risk on their part. He said, come follow me and I will. No qualifiers. No small print. No get out clauses. No use by date. He says, come follow me and I will. I've been taught throughout my life that I need to believe in Jesus. And that's a good thing. But what I'm also learning as a follower of Jesus is that Jesus believes in me. And I want to say that to you as new elders and to you as a congregation. It's good for us to believe in Jesus. It's also good for us to remember that Jesus believes in us. I've been taught throughout my life that I need to have faith in God. That's a good thing. But what I'm also discovering as a follower of God is that God has faith in me. And he has faith in you. And you. And you. The rabbi we call Jesus thinks we can be like him. And tonight he says... Come, follow me. Let's pray.